Glorification Part 2. If you don't have notes, there's still a few more copies back there. We got almost through page one of my notes last week. So, uh, so we got to the definitions of glorification. I read the one from Wayne Grudem, and we are now at um, uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 32. That chapter is titled, Of the State of Man After Death and of the resurrection of the dead. So this is super important because you hear things all the time that are just profoundly wrong in Christian circles, right? You, 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 grandma, grandma dies and people are like, she's with the angels now. She's an angel. No, she's not. She's not an angel. You don't become angels when you die. You don't become demons when you die. Uh, your soul is separated from your body and we'll talk about that. But we hear all these things all the time. You know, like, he's here with us right now. No, he's not. He is with the Lord or he is in hell. That's where he is. He is not with you. He's not, he's not in the plants or the trees or the brook, right? Uh, or the twinkle in the grandson's eyes. Uh, the Bible gives us real clear thoughts and teaching on what happens. And, and I, you know, someone said, you don't talk about eschatology enough. And I think they're absolutely right. I, I don't talk about it enough. And um, it's all throughout the scriptures. And so that, that's where we are. Uh, so this chapter, and I encourage you to, to the Westminster Confession is really short, but it, it is a great read on doctrinal things. And so I'm going to read that to us. The bodies of men, of course, and women after death return to dust and see corruption. But their souls, which neither die nor sleep, having an immortal substance, immediately return to God who gave them. The souls of the righteous, being then made perfect in holiness, are received into the highest heavens. Okay, so I'm going to stop there. Sometimes we talk about uh, where are we going to heaven as if that's our final resting place, right? And so uh, the, the Westminster Confession rightly interprets what the Bible teaches concerning this, our our souls are structured, are sent immediately into the presence of God, right? Our bodies are corrupting. That's what it's saying right there. Um, are in the heavens where they behold the face of God in light and glory. I talk about this occasionally, how when human beings encounter God, that their, their, their being is changed. Uh, the greatest example, of course, is Moses, right, who who appears before God and, and his whole countenance changes. There is a glow to him. Um, they behold the face of God in light and in glory, and they are not afraid. They're not afraid. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, even if right before you died, you committed a heinous sin. If you're in Christ, you face the Father, and you're not afraid. Um, you behold His light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. And the souls of the wicked are cast into hell, where they remain in torments and utter darkness, reserved to the judgment of the great day. Besides these two places for souls separated from their bodies, the Scripture acknowledgeth none. Okay, so in the Bible, uh, hell or the afterlife is given lots of names. Right, I, and I might be wrong, but I, I, Sheol. Sometimes you read about, you know, they're going to Sheol. Like, what is Sheol? Hades, hell, 
Gehenna is in in the in the Greek, which is a which is a was a dump, right? You're going to the a, a trash dump, a burning trash dump. Sometimes it's called the pit. They've gone down to the pit. Uh, I was reading Job this week. Job talks about it as Abaddon, A-B-A-D-D-O-N, uh, Abraham's bosom. So, I mean, you've probably heard all of those different terms if you read your Bible, and you're like, what do all of those mean? So some of them are different ways of explaining the same place. Um, and, and so uh, heaven, what we refer to as heaven, is this spiritual realm where our souls, immediately after our death, are united with our Savior. And the souls of all other uh, that belong to our Savior are united. They, they're with God in glory. Uh, we don't know what they see, um, but we know they're not anxious about us. Um, and uh, they are, the Scripture says, every tear is wiped away, that they live in eternal joy and bliss. Uh, and they wait for the final redemption of their bodies. Okay, so uh, sometimes Christians will say, uh, is cremation wrong um, in, in reference to a, a Christianity? Now, uh, people point to the pagan ceremonies of burning the bodies. I, I was in Nepal, and uh, I saw a procession of people bringing a body to burn on a special type of wood and, and dump the ashes into a river that flowed into the Ganges. Right? And there was little kids swimming downstream. And, uh, and they were talking about, well, if you're rich, you know, you can get this big fire, and you, but you have to pay people to carry your body. It can't be taken in a car. It can't be taken by a car. It can't be taken by a train. You're, you have to carry that body. And so they like to burn it close to the river so it's easy to dispose of the ashes. Um, and so people are like, oh, well, we, you know, we shouldn't do that. Um, but, the, but the truth of Scripture is God will resurrect our bodies. You read about the sea giving up its dead. Right? And so it, it, it's not as if our God, who created everything out of nothing, who breathed life into the dust, like, don't! <laughs> oh, you shouldn't have burned your grandma. Now she won't be able to. Right? And I say this because when Brian and I were doing funerals together, he told this story about this, these people that were like, well, the cheapest way to bury grandma is, is to uh, uh, cremate her. And they're like, well, he's like, no, she won't go to heaven if she's cremated. So that, they didn't have enough money to pay for a funeral. So they went to the uh, casino and they called him like, late at night. Like, we just wanted a casino. You haven't burned grandma yet. You know, and it was like, I just see him in my mind. Like, come on, Jesus. Come on. Come on. I mean, I'm like, I'm sorry, but that's just awful. That, 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 that God is so bound to how we handle the shell of our body after death. It's not to be dishonored, right? I mean, but, but it's, it's not what the scriptures teach. Um, you can look in Luke 16. There's a, a good story that Jesus tells about a rich man and, and Lazarus, and, and they both die, right? And, and uh, the, the rich man is able to look from where he is in eternal anguish and pain, where the fire on, on his tongue, and he just wants a drop of water, and he looks over and he sees Lazarus uh, in eternal bliss. Remember that story? And he says, hey, will you, will you please return me to the earth? Um, I've got to tell my brothers about this place. Now just, just give me a chance, right? 
And, and what does God say to him? They have Moses and the prophets. And if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, they will not believe if someone returns from the dead. Jesus is speaking of himself in that matter too, right? I will return from the dead. Um, and I always use that in this reference to sometimes when Christians feel like I need the best argument to convert somebody. That, that it is, the, the beauty of our order salutis is it is God who regenerates a heart. It is God's Spirit who sends an effectual call that draws people to themselves. It's not a clever pastor or getting, getting everything right at a summer camp. Um, right? Those things are important, but, but it is God that draws people to himself. Um, so, another text I didn't put in your notes. You could look at Luke 24. Uh, verses 36 to 49, as a, as a picture of Jesus' resurrected body. The second um, paragraph in the confession, At the last day, such as are found alive shall not die, but be changed. The dead shall be raised up with the selfsame bodies and none other, although with different qualities, which shall be united again to their souls forever. Uh, in Job 19, in the midst of his struggle and, his, uh, and death, destruction, and loss, he says this, I know that my Redeemer lives. This is Job 19, 25 to 27. Um, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself. This is some Old Testament evidence for glorification. So Old Testament believers also believed in resurrection, glorification, eternal life, Job, probably the oldest uh, book in the, in the Bible. I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. When I shall see for myself, or whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another, my heart faints within me. Job, in the pit of anguish, says, this is what I'm holding to. I know, I know that I will see him. And though my flesh is destroyed, he had boils all over his skin. Remember, he had a piece of pottery that he broke and was scratching the boils and the sores all over his skin. He said, yes, but this is what I know. Um, uh, I wrote down here, I was supposed to read something from James Smith, uh, and I left his book at home, so... Sorry about that. I'll, I'll, I'll write it in a follow-up. Um, he, but he, James Smith does a good job of a point, pointing to apocalyptic literature. And, and this is good for you Christians. Apocalyptic literature that talks about the end times, about judgment. Uh, in our culture, it seems like we, we go to those books and we just want to know dates and times. Right? It's like, it's important to know, you know, when's Jesus coming back? Right? And I make jokes about that all the time because these guys make millions of dollars selling books on 2,000 Reasons Jesus is Coming Back in 2000. Right? And then his follow-up companion, 2001 Reasons Why He's Coming Back in 2001. Right? And a guy still has a pulpit. You know, I'm like, oh, remember the one about the blood moons? I mean, really famous like TV preacher. The blood moons! Jesus is coming back this year. Well, you're a false prophet. <laughs> you know, you've made mistakes. Uh, apocalyptic literature primarily is... is for us to kind of remove the veneer, I mean, and, 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 and look at the reality of the world to come. Right? To see, you know, uh, the saints gathered around the throne, casting down their, throne, their crowns, right? These beautiful pictures, the throne room of God, such beauty, such glory. 
um, that in, in, our, in our fallen state, it's almost impossible to behold. So when you read through that in Daniel and in Ezekiel um, and in, in Revelation, when you read through those, those uh, apocalyptic visions, um, remember, Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times and dates. Right? So we're, supposed, we're to live as if it's tomorrow. Right? That, that's the life of a believer. We're to live as if Christ is going to come home, to come back tomorrow and, and, and resurrect us. We're supposed to live that way. But he gives us all these pictures for great hope. The third uh, paragraph. The bodies of the unjust shall, by the power of Christ, be raised to dishonor. The bodies of the just, by his Spirit, unto honor. And be made conformable to his own glorious body. So we have a brief picture of that in the Gospels, uh, the, the, the body of Jesus. So when he re- reappears, remember he eats some fish, right? After, after, the, after the throw your net on the other side, he already has fish cooking there. I love that whole story. I mean, it's just amazing, right? It, it's disciples like, boy, we wasted those three years, you know? Let's go back to fishing, right? With that, that we can do, that we know. We're not going to get beaten for fishing, Right. And and so that's what they do. Two guys from Emmaus, they leave. The disciples go back to fishing and Jesus says, throw your net on the other side. It's like, it's the Lord, you know. And, and of course, you know, it's like, you don't need to worry about fish. I got you taken care of. And then they come and he's got them cooked already. Right. And so he eats. He, you know, feel my hand. Right. He's recognizable. So there are a lot of things that we can gather about what our resurrected, glorified bodies will look like. I don't know if I told you this or not, but at Kirk of the Hills, when I was a seminary student, we used to do, um, I think it was for uh, Easter. Yeah, it was an Easter program, and it was a silhouette. It was a, it was a really cool uh, three different pieces uh, that, that, that people would rearrange from a stable, uh, from a tree of life to a stable to a cross. Um, and then right at the beginning, they, they, they told the story of creation. And so silhouetted are these like two perfect specimens of humanity, you know, silhouetted. Like the guy they chose, I knew him in seminary, I mean, he's like this bodybuilder extraordinaire, right? And so my joke was always like, after the fall, do you want me to run out there? You know, <laughs> you, want, you want to get a look at a fallen body, you know, <laughs> see what it looks like? You know, like, uh, no, that's okay, Mark, like we, we get the idea. Uh, but, but our resurrected bodies are going to be beautiful. Um, in fact, if, if we saw them, we would be tempted to worship them. But they will also be recognizable. Um, so I'm thinking, like, for a Kuiper, that's eighth grade, right? Still beautiful, recognizable, you know. Um, so uh, that's what the Scriptures teach. There's New Testament evidence for glorification. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 15, that whole passage, really, is the apostle dealing with those who are denying the resurrection. And... Um, Verse 12, he says, If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we've testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. What does that mean? That means this life's going to be tough for Christians. Right? 
And if, if Christ is only our hope while we're alive, then we're to be most pitied. Um, if he was just a, a good man that gave us an example of how to be kind and loving to one another, then we are most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Um, and the scriptures often use that term, fallen asleep. When I did my sister's funeral, she had said, will you talk about that term in my funeral? She goes, because, uh, and I told you guys this, but she was going into surgery and she says, Mark, I, I'm, they're going to put me to sleep and I'm going to wake up here with y'all. I'm going to wake up with my Savior. If I don't wake up with y'all, will you preach my funeral on blessed are those who have fallen asleep in Christ? Um, so that's, that's the term he's using. It's as, if, it's as if we've fallen asleep and we wake up uh, to a new body. For as by man death by man came death, by a man also has come the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. Then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. After destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Uh, the rest of that chapter speaks to the same concept. First Thessalonians um, speaks to it. John 5, uh, 28, 29, he says, Don't marvel at this. The hour is coming when all are in their tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Uh, John 6, 39, 40, 44, 54. This, will, uh, this is the will of Him who sent me. I should lose nothing of all that He has given me. Right? Why is the ordo important? Because it, it tells us, Jesus is there speaking of the perseverance. All that the Father has given me, I will lose none. I will raise Him up on the last day. This is the will of my Father. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes should have eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. <clears throat> Old Testament support. I've read from Job. Um, some people, again, treat uh, resurrection as a New Testament doctrine. It's, it's uh, foolish. It's, not, it's just not. Uh, so in um, John 11, I know it's a New Testament verse, but, but it, it points to what they believed in those days, right? They believed the Old Testament. And so when uh, Lazarus dies, um, uh, Martha's speaking to Jesus. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So it was a common held belief. Um, and Acts twenty four fifteen, Paul says, I'm being brought here because I believe in the resurrection of the dead, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, a deep divide of those who did believe in resurrection and those who didn't. Hebrews 11 points to it. Isaiah 26, uh, the dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake, sing for joy, for your dew is the dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. Um, so other passages, I'm not sure if I wrote these in your notes or not, but Psalm 49 Verse 15, Psalm 73, verses 24 and 25, Proverbs 23, 13 and 14, Daniel 12, Ezekiel 37. Um, so the New Testament and Old Testament speak to this doctrine as, as really being the culmination of our salvation. 
uh, the third point, what will our resurrection bodies be like? We have uh, touched on this briefly. Uh, again, 1 Corinthians 15 speaks to it. Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven and we await a Savior, the Lord, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. 1 Corinthians, what is, what is uh, sown as perishable is raised as imperishable. It's sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a physical body, it is raised a spiritual body. Uh, that doesn't mean um, that we are then uh, disembodied spirits. It means spiritual in the sense of righteous and right and holy. Just as we bore the image of man in the dust, we will also bear the image of man in heaven. No aging, uh, maybe no scars, I'm not sure, but the image of the perfection of God's highest creation, humanity as God intended it to be. Um, fourth point, the entire creation will be renewed as well. Um, in Genesis 3, all creation falls. Um, in Romans 8, uh, the apostle speaks of this renewal. In verses 18 to 25, I consider that the sufferings of the present time aren't worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For creation waits with eager longing. All creation waits for eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation is subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly, as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we're saved, but hope that's seen is not hope. Um, the fifth point, the unbelieving dead will be raised for judgment on that final day of judgment. John 5. Um, some concluding thoughts on this doctrine. Number one is we are to be a people of hope. And I want to address you if you're a perfectionist. If you're a perfectionist, uh, you live often in, in frustration with yourself, with others, uh, with the way people drive, um, the way they park. Uh, but but the, I just want to talk briefly about the, the, the frustration you have in and of yourself. Um, you know what that is? That's, that's, that's a longing. For resurrection. It's a longing for glorification. And uh, I get I get kind of hard on the perfectionists at times. But but really what you need to do is 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 fix your eyes on Christ and, and know that He will make you perfect. He will. There will be nothing lacking in you. Um, the frustration we have is in patience and in waiting. But the whole order of salvation tells us 
that in this process of sanctification that God is perfecting us now in this life. He is pointing those things out. So as a perfectionist, when those things are pointed out, we go to repentance. We use our spiritual disciplines. Um, but we don't hold other people to it. Um, God is going to work on them in different areas and in different ways. Um, but um, I don't know why it's just dawned on me recently that that's, that's really kind of what's going on in the heart of a perfectionist. Um, and uh, in, in the optimist, it's really the same thing. Um, but, but, but optimists are often, often getting their hopes dashed. Right? They, they look forward, they, they've got this plan, things seem to be going just right. I think I told you in my first church plant, we had the picture of our launch team, 28 people. And I told Tammy, it's going to be great if this couple doesn't leave. Right? I'm the optimist. It's going to be great. This thing's going to go, go, go. You know, this guy, he's a Hollywood agent. He knows everybody. Right? They leave the next week. <laughs> right? If you're an optimist and you find yourself kind of, oh, oh, I'm going to quit hoping. I'm going to be discouraged. An optimist, we, a Christian should be an optimist. God is working all things out. He gave us the ending of the story. We all with unveiled faces are beholding His glory. And we are being changed from one image of glory into another. And this comes from our God who is the Spirit. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for making things clear. And I pray, Lord, if I rushed through that those who's here would, would, would take time and, and delve into the the beautiful, wonderful promise of what awaits your people when we are separated from our bodies, when we say goodbye to those we loved who are in Christ. Um, thank you, Father. Amen.